0: Welcome to the Locate 852 podcast, bringing you insights on how you can build and scale your business with social platforms. Hosted by the leading Facebook ad strategist in Hong Kong, entrepreneur, branding expert, and the founder of Locate 852, Chris Chung. Justin, thank you so much for being on the show. Um, you've worked with so many professional athletes from the league and I know you've now ventured out as well to work with you know entrepreneurs as well. Take us all the way back to the very beginning. Share with us the full details. What was your upbringing like and how were you as a child?
1: So, Christopher, it's it's uh, it's awesome being on the show. And um, it's uh, going back into my story. It's one of those things that you typically go, oh, it probably starts around like 25 when you started to go, hey, like I really need to get wellness in my life. But for me, it actually stems back to when I was 12. And I can remember the exact day, the exact moment. Uh, I was obviously born and raised in Canada, so you you were born to play hockey, like that's what you were supposed to do, and I was playing with 16 and 17-year-olds, and my father said to me, he said, son, talent will get you noticed, but consistency will get you paid, Mm -hmm. and it was the first moment that I had it click in my head that, you know what I'm really after is I'm after consistency, I'm after how can I be the most consistent version of myself, and take that into every aspect of my life. And from that moment on, it became a prime focus for me to understand everything that would help me do that, every habit that would help me do that, everything that I could add to my repertoire that would help me do that. And so while my peers were out watching video games or uh, reading um, comic books. I was reading medical journals, studying everything I could on sleep, heart rate variability, uh, nutrition, uh, exercise, anything that I could get my hands on that was talking about high performance or talking about the health, wellness, lifestyle habits that we could add. and from there, it really drove my career through um, where I went uh, as a professional hockey player into college, into my master's and doctorate work, into my coaching career, and now ultimately into my business. And uh, I kind of summarize it that way. um, But uh, there were obviously a lot of ups and downs and a lot of other stories that I'll tell, I'm sure, throughout this, but that's really how I got into it.
0: Okay. So you were 12, and then did you start? You were already reading the, those books. You were already studying um, at 12, or was that like
1: slightly <clears throat> older? No. So I, at 12, 13 years old, those, that's literally what I was reading and looking at every single day, um, and starting to apply it. So I would I would sleep with heart rate monitors on. I would I would exercise with heart rate monitors on. I would sleep with little brainwave monitors. I would um, uh, measure my food in every way, shape and form possible. Uh, I understood like certain electrolyte balances. and uh, you you talk about obsession. like it became an obsession for me uh, to understand how I could take this to that next level. And what ended up happening was because I didn't have the education, because I didn't know there was so much information out there. I I knew enough to be dangerous, but not enough to be an expert. Mm -hmm. And so I ultimately drove myself into uh, anorexia and uh, became, um, I went, I still remember I I was drafted by the team at uh, about 158 pounds. And I went into camp at 98 and it was, it it was, they thought I was playing a joke on them. They said, is this your kid brother or something? And it was just how far my health had deteriorated because of my obsession so far the other way and not knowing how to implement these tools and tactics in the right way and it wasn't until I met uh, one of my coaches at 17 years old that really kind of changed my life really changed my my mindset component to this outer energy piece and and I'll come back to that outer energy piece in a second because it's how we break it up today and in own it. We use outer and inner energy in a combination to create sustainable habit change using cellular and personal biometric data that gives actionable insights. And for us, um, or, or for me at, my, at that age, I completely just bought into it, it clicked immediately. And I was like, this is what I need to do. This is the application it needs to get. And so that led to my undergraduate degree in uh, nutrition and exercise science. From there, I went um, and did my master's degree in exercise physiology and human anatomy. Uh, From there, I went and got my massage therapy license. I went from there and worked on my functional medicine degree. Um, And it was really impressive to see How all of these things started to come together and that there wasn't a segregated group of, hey, this is medicine and this is exercise and this is food, but rather how it's all integrated together and that each and every one of us uses our food, our exercise, our habits differently within our body. And even though we're all humans, not one of us has the same DNA, not one of us has the same uh, cellular um, mutation process. None of us are similar in those ways. And thus, we, but we try to treat everyone with those gloves. And being able to now recognize that and have a solution to that um, has been. I think the really cool process, um, that I was able to go through and, and use. And, um, at, uh, as I finished up my, um, was kind of getting, making my way through my doctor degree, I got the opportunity to start working with, with teams and, uh, was at the university of Louisville, won a couple national championships, uh, at Miami, uh, put about 15 guys to the NHL over three years from there, started my own NHL camp from there. Uh, worked with three different NHL clubs as a performance director, uh, really implementing these processes. And then, um, it, it <laughs> the story gets even even more evolved. Is I ultimately call it when I got to the NHL like my ultimate failure, and it's because I reached this massive pinnacle in my life, this massive success, but I had no fulfillment. So Mm -hmm. you find success with no fulfillment. And it was what what I called like this, this empty hole. And it was I saw Magic Johnson speak one one afternoon and um, he was talking about the last time that he was in the NBA. He asked for his uh, in his contract that he would get the emails and phone numbers of the season ticket holders in the first two rows. And the reason was so that he could ultimately network and learn from some of the best business people in the world. And so I took that to heart and I was like, you know what, instead of having the attitude, the mindset of, Oh, I have to just be on the road for 110 days this year and I have to grind it out and all these things, change your mindset, change your thought process, change your patterning and go, I'm blessed to be in this position. I'm, I I'm living literally living a dream that I've had for so long. And how can you make this something that is advantageous and so i started to meet with business leaders entrepreneurs executives at every city that i traveled to and so over that year i met with just shy of 100 people that about 50 of them turned into clients because mm-hmm. they wanted to use that they they wanted to know what i was doing i was doing everything so different and one of the guys said to me he goes justin tell me why you're better than anybody else that's doing this and i said i don't know that i'm better but I'll tell you one thing I'm different. And that way he goes, he goes, he goes, that just stuck with me. Like he, he goes, that is why I want to work with you. I don't need to sit here and tell you why I'm better than anybody or why my process works better than everybody else. But I look at things differently and we at own it look at things differently hmm. because every single person is different and that's how we process it out. And so as I left the league, um, in 2019, um, to take own it full time, um, that's uh, those people those business on um, uh, an entrepreneur um relationships i created ultimately helped teach me business helped teach me how to grow that um and have helped uh own it grow into what it is uh ultimately today scaling to uh service eight different countries with uh, 25 employees selling IP to a tech company that has helped us scale to 600,000 users and um, uh, 150 different companies, 200 different individuals. Like it's 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 cool to see what it's manifested into by simply sticking to your morals, values and mm-hmm. principles um, and, and truly owning who who we are and what we do. So going
0: back to how you just started the story saying you went into camp at uh, 150 pounds and then and then turned up at being around 90. How did you what was that impact um, towards you mentally and how did you find to the the navigate to, to be able to navigate out of that.
1: So, I mean, one is I had complete body dysmorphia. I had no ability to see myself for who i was or what i was um nothing was good enough uh i had a heavy heavy um uh, perfection complex that everything needed to be perfect my macros needed to be perfect i needed to perform perfectly um my body needed to be look perfect and quite frankly i was so far removed from one area that like my self confidence my self worth my um uh, my, I needed to continually prove myself to people and I was at an all time low, but in, <laughs> and, and quite frankly, my health was at an all time low. And so the, the crazy thing about that time, and I remember back to it is that I, I could not be denied though. My mindset was one of that, even though I knew I was hurting myself, even though I knew that I was putting myself in a terrible place. Success was no question to me. I knew I was going to win. I knew I was going to come out on top I knew because I was betting on myself. And I think that mindset is one of the things, not that what I did was good or healthy or I would suggest to anybody, but what I learned was that the amount of resiliency I have Second to none. The ability to bet on myself and know that I will come through and produce, I I, I tap back into that every single day as an entrepreneur and a business owner. Um, The fact that I know that I can have incredible setbacks, but still get through those tough times, I still tap into today. And so, lessons that I learned during that time in my life. I, I pull on every single day. How long did that period of time last for you? Yeah, about four years. So from about uh, 13, 14 to about 17, 18. And did you work with
0: uh, other people? Did you have to get a coach in order to start actually fixing things on a macro level in order to, to, to make things that everything was back up to normal before you took the next step, even though your mindset was set straight? Or did you get through it
1: majority by yourself? no i had i had a team of people working with me i had uh i had two coaches that were instrumental in in helping to change uh my outlook change my understanding uh i was working with uh, a couple therapists i was working with a couple doctors a couple medical professionals um all who uh, a neurologist a naturopath so i was at, even at that point being exposed to a lot of different methodologies and a lot of different um Professionals in different spaces that were providing guidance and still uh, you take you, you go back to how people learn. You either learn through books, you learn through reading, you learn through experience. I had all of those from the age of 13 to the age of 18, even before my undergraduate degree or my undergraduate schooling process began. So you can think that, like for five years, this kid is in more doctor's offices, more iridologists, like who who is a 14 year old goes to an iridologist, a naturopath, and a uh, uh, registered dietitian, three to four days, uh, every single month with each of them, and then is going to doctors and asking more questions than, um, uh, than the than they did in, in med school, like, that is the type of depth that I wanted to know. But the funny thing was, is even as they would say things to me, I wouldn't register them. Like they, they would, they, they'd they say things, they'd say, Hey, this is what we need to do. This is why we need to do it. But it wouldn't register and be like, Oh, okay. That's what's happening to me. Because I still remember I stepped foot in a, um, an eating disorder clinic. And when I stepped in there, there was people that were just like, just so sickly looking. And when I looked in the mirror like the getting fed through feeding tubes. I still there's all this coming back now. I was I was I still remember walking into the hospital and the doctor, um, my mom was crying, my dad was with me, and um I, I didn't know this at the time, but th- they were supposed to leave me there and I was supposed to get on a feeding tube, and I was supposed to like stay on all this stuff. And the doctor looked at me and said, Um, you're this is this is this could be where you are, and we're gonna actually pull the plug on on hockey. You're not gonna play hockey anymore. And I was like, no, you're not. Like that's not even an option. Like you can like take anything you want, but you're not taking that. And by the way, I've got practice in half an hour, so see ya. Um, but I still remember walking through and just remembering how sickly everybody looked, and I was like, that's not what I look like. But yet, to everybody else, I, I I fit the mold. I fit right in there, um, and so that I think was something that took time. as I never resonate. I I never resonated with the people that I saw around me. There was something else that needed to click within me. That was a deeper seated fear of going back to not being seen, not being noticed, not being heard, not being good enough, not being far enough along, not. Um, uh, optimizing performance, leaving potential untapped internally, knowing that there was more to give and not turning over every stone possible. But in doing so, because I had no direction, I had no plan, I had no guidance, I had no leader. I I got myself into a, a, a storm that I needed to work my way out of. Would you say
0: that there is a silver lining in that you know, four to five period year of that of of your life, just because right now you went went in the storm and you actually came out the other side all well. Um, would you say that that has helped you to be able to work with you know the clients that you work with now better to understand them better to help
1: them better as well? Oh, hundred percent. I mean, there's nothing better than being able to actually walk in people's shoes and health is one of these health and wellness and performance and um, uh, performance optimization, whatever sexy words you want to put on it. It's a very personal thing, like extremely personal. It's like things where a lot of it goes into deep rooted fears. And, and I brought some of them up where when I sit and talk to clients um, and, and try to figure out like, what, what is it that you are doing? Like every single one of them massive amounts of money, a couple businesses, great families, so forth and so on. You would think again, from the outside looking in, they've got everything like, man, I wish I could be in their shoes, but deep inside, they've got fears, of, man, I know I have more to give, but I don't know how to give it. I know there's more untapped within me and I'm tired all the time, but I want to be able to give more to my family. I want to be able to give more to myself. I want to be able to build another business. I know that I can go to another level, but I don't know how to get there. And that's that fear that exists. And I've, I've been there. I, I still battle with that every day, but I'm able to now have coping mechanisms and I'm able to have systems and strategies that I know I'm turning over different leaves every single day because I know myself inside and out. And I understand there is, no, there is nothing that's left untapped. There is nothing that's left to chance. Because I mean, it, Matthew McConaughey said it the best As he goes, if you develop a system and allow yourself to figure out how to go all in, how freeing would it be to know that no matter what the result was, you left everything out there. Hmm. And that's that's what I keep going back to is we help people leave everything out there, both on the inner and outer energy side, knowing that from a mindset component, and then from a Uh, physical health and wellness components, sleep, uh, nutrition, hydration, immune function, um, environment, all of these things that come together to create the holistic you Hmm. so that you can show up as a better version of you every single day. You can show up as the person that needs to lead the company, needs to lead your family, needs to lead the household, needs to lead yourself, the best version of you.
0: So- Fast forward to when you're, after you doing all the studying, did you know that you wanted to help professional athletes in order to, to help their peak performance? Or how did you make that decision? Or did you want to work with individuals?
1: So the funny thing is, is, uh, like, again, being a hockey player, that's, that's what I did. I, I, I left Canada at, uh, 18 and a half, 19 years old, come down to the U S on a hockey scholarship, played hockey down here. That was my life. It was, it was what... I was surrounded with and after uh, a very short stint um, uh, in, a, in a professional setting i knew that i wanted i got more satisfaction out of helping people pull out their peak performance states use their talents going back to that 13 year old kid that my dad talked to use their talents to create consistency to ultimately reach their goals and get paid on and getting paid It's not necessarily cash. It can be whatever that goal is for them, right? So talent gets you noticed, consists to get you paid. It may not be a paycheck, but it's the business that you want. It's the family that you want. It's the, um, the vacation that you want. It's it's whatever it is that that goal is that desire, that deep burning sense of passion. And as I, uh, left the league as a player, I knew that that's what I wanted to do is go back as a coach. And so, it uh, that was my next train is how can I now become the most educated, the most um, well versed, the, the expert in this space so that I can provide the most value? And I, it, it again, this is kind of where it comes back to is I knew that I had such a passion to do this, that I had such a, a desire to give and serve, that I would do anything to get in front of people and that's ultimately how 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 it worked is i was i was blessed to know that before influence comes relationships mm. and i was blessed in being able to develop deep relationships deep trust deep intimacy with with people that um was able to connect with them and once they connected they were able to then trust and take influence and um it started to work it started to have an impact i had a Uh, An understanding of how to put things together take data that's complex and make it simple and uh, ultimately led me down uh, the road coaching at that uh, at that NHL level um, for uh, (laughs) for a long time. So what made you, now that you're working at the, the
0: NHL and working with the players, what made you suddenly switch and say, Hey, instead of, I want to leave this and I want to do my own thing, start my own business, help more people. What was that
1: switch for you? So a couple things. Um, I ended up getting married, uh, at 20, 25, 26 years old and, um, the NHL, it's a grind Like you're, you've got uh, a long, you're, you're on the road for, like I said, about hundred, 110 days a year on average. Um, you're a slave to the sport. Um, I missed birthdays. I missed weddings. I missed funerals. I missed birth of cousins, siblings, and, um, you, you give up a lot. You, you sacrifice a lot. And early in my career, being that young 22, 23, 24 year old kid that was driven by ego driven by um that that logo of the three-letter league and i i was willing to turn whatever my life behind the doors was into a tornado for the look of what i wanted on the outside and that was that was being at that level being the youngest strength coach in the nhl being the guy that was um, carrying the torch, being on the stages, leading the, being that maverick leader. That was the, the, the weird guy, the odd guy, the data guy, the guy that was looking at all these numbers and then creating amazing results. Like, how is he doing this? Who is this guy? That's what, that's what drove me. That was the ego that I didn't care what went on with my family. I don't care what went on behind closed doors. As long as I was getting where I needed to be, that's all that mattered. And so, um, I ended up getting divorced and um it really caused me to like look in the mirror and say like who are you what values are you operating from uh what is pushing you forward in this direction and i i i had i had to pray on it for a long time and had to really look myself in the mirror and ask some hard questions as to like who is this guy is this really who you want to be and that ultimately led me to um seeing magic johnson speak like i spoke about where i went in um and that summer i met elise who's uh my fiance now we get married in february and um that was six and a half years ago we met and i just knew at that very moment like god put this this message in my head and i saw so clearly like that is your person treat her like gold and be the man that you're supposed to be and from that moment i had this sense of dissonance within me like this place this this nhl logo this season that i'm supposed to continually just trudge through is is now a burden and it was an immediate switch something that i for forever was so okay with even as a player i dating back to like when I was eight, nine, 10 years old. Like, I don't remember being at home for a Christmas because we had tournaments on uh, on Boxing Day, 26th. Um, Junior hockey, I'd go home for one or two days at Christmas and then fly back because I didn't play at home. So I'd never really been at home since I was 17, 18 years old, have always been away. And yet it's something now all of a sudden at 26 coming through on through a divorce, it's like, Oh my gosh, I've, my priorities are shifting. My, uh, what I'm focusing on is shifting personal growth really needs to happen because you're not operating in alignment with who you are and who you truly want to be the values in which you've been ingrained with. And that, that, uh, Talk that I saw with Magic Johnson was a a, a a key cog in my wheel. Like it was a big thing that said, like you have to create a change here, and how are you going to do it? And that was the that was the first moment that I was like, you know what? I need to take advantage of this. I need to educate myself in a different way because I I know that just being here and continuing on with this is not something that's going to be sustainable to serve me and to serve this person that I love um, in a powerful way. So
0: from, from that Magic Johnson talk to when you actually left the league in order to pursue this full-time, how how long was that duration?
1: I was about two years.
0: Okay. And so you were slowly piecing pieces together along the way, making sure you built the right connections um, and set up the company, or were you kind of, kind of like starting to split your time half-half and then over time and then fully made the transition? Or was it like...
1: Yeah, I that? love the... I, I wish I wish it was that methodical. <laughs> because um, and it goes back to like how blinded I was by a lot of things is as I was in that uh, as I was in that position um, I started I had taken probably two to three guys to rehab um, that season for opiate addiction um, uh, pain pill addiction and I started to see just the system and how broken it was that we were continuing to drive dysfunction, drive poor habits, uh, culturally behind closed doors. I was like, it was not helping me grow because of what I was seeing. And a part of me, which um, I suffered from opiate addiction early in my 20s, uh, I, I was like, you know what, this, there, there's a better way. And the NHL camp I started down in Florida um, was set up purposely to help guys better understand themselves from a DNA and cellular level, be able to understand what their data is telling them, be able to take ownership over their own bodies, their own data, their own information and make their own conclusions, their own decisions. And we started to give alternate routes through CBD and um, personalized medicine and uh, personalized supplementation, personalized routines, data that you can track on a daily basis, understanding biometrics. And when I went back um, to the team uh, in the second year uh, of doing this, this was now a year into it, uh, after the Magic Johnson talk, there started to be like... You're not pulling the rope in the same direction. You're not a team guy. Why are you going against what we're saying? And it starts to spur conversation, start to spur a little bit of friction back and forth. And so as I continue to, again, plan the next hockey summit, plan, uh, train and work with some of my clients outside, um, start to uh, do a lot of the testing with, with my clientele throughout the country, there started to be questions about like, hey, like what is going on with the education that you're providing to our guys? And uh, in December of 2018, um, December 14th, actually, I was uh, brought into the, the room and I was fired uh, specifically uh, for educating players on how they could take alternate routes rather than just being yes men to, the Toradol and uh, the opiate use for for pain relief and uh, uh, injury recovery and treatment. And it was not something I was willing to compromise on. I I still remember sitting in that room and they specifically said, "Uh, are you on our team, are you on theirs? And I said, I thought we were on the same team. And I was forced to make a decision and I would side with the player who I serve every single day of the week. And again, knowing that I would make that decision again and again and again uh, goes back to being able to sit and look in the mirror and put my head on my pillow at night, and know that I did the right thing, know that I lived by my values, lived by my morals and uh, the character in which you stand up to own and take ownership of um, comes to the forefront. So once you were laid off how long was that scary for you in order
0: to then have to double down your business to get everything, you know, moving faster, to make sure that you were back on track? What what was that period like?
1: Yeah. So to be honest with you, it was, um, uh, of course you go from having a paycheck to, and and I think the biggest thing it wasn't, I was, I've never worried about money, like Mm. money, money doesn't drive me. Um, and whether you're making a thousand dollars a month or a hundred thousand dollars a month it, it it's just a vehicle it's a vehicle to do do more and serve more so uh the thing i think that hit me 24 to 48 hours after was that something that was so close to me for so long which was hockey hurt me and put a a dagger in my heart, if you will, and ultimately hurt my ego, knowing that the three-letter league was no longer part of what I did. How do I? I felt like honestly back like that 13, 14 year old kid of I need to prove myself again. I'm uh, I'm not good enough. I'm not strong enough. I'm not uh, smart enough. I don't, I'm not intelligent enough, I don't have a good enough system, even though for the last 10 years I was the guy doing it to the highest level, written books that people were reading, that people are coming to listen to talk to, uh, I was, I didn't lose any of that. You just don't, long, you just no longer have the NHL logo behind you, mm-hmm. which for me was an ego thing. And I had to get over that. I had to put that aside to ultimately allow myself to serve at the level that I was meant to. And, and I was put on this journey for a reason. I was meant to go through all that for a reason. And it was ultimately to get me to realize that there's more people to serve. There's more people to work on. There's more to this. It doesn't just need to be placed at 26 men in a locker room, but rather the entire population needs to have a better system because we're unindated with data. We're unindated with information, but how do we create actionable insights to that? And there's a, there's a gift and a talent to serve. There's a desire to serve. And there's something bigger and better meant for you, and my reliance on that, and my faith in that, and my trust in that, um, allowed me to be honest to stay calm, collected, and focused, and allowed me to take the best decision I ever made during that time was to double down on my coaches, double down on the people around me, double down on my. Um, uh, my mentors and my influencers around me that helped coach me, guide me, and and bring the clarity to it that that I ultimately needed to put into place to uh, to continue to drive the boat forward. So I want to switch things up real quick and talk about more so the
0: tactical things and the things that you have been working in order to implement with your clients. You are very, uh, uh, you're very interested in, in, in HRV and heart rate variability. Um, and I think, more and more people are aware about heart rate variability nowadays compared to just even a few years back. Um, For the people that aren't familiar with what HRV is, what is HRV and why is it important?
1: Yeah. So heart rate variability is the simplest way I put it is it's your body's language of communicating with you. And the way in which your body's communicating is it's telling you whether it's adapting well, or it's a, or it's not adapting well to the stress or strain in which you're placing on it. Now your body has really just one understanding of stress. It can be mental, it can be physical, it can be spiritual, it can be emotional, but it only knows it is stress. It't it can't dictate or uh, decipher between any of those. So you can have a really stressful day your, uh, maybe your uh, spouse and you are at odds and really, really going at it. Just it, it's, it's causing like major issues at home. We've got a lot of arguments happening and the next day you could go for a 10 mile run. Both of those are massive stressors that your body can't tell the difference between mm. and the impact of stress is going to be the same. And so what's going to happen is based upon how your body adapts to those stressors, it will either drive your HRV down, which is a negative sign, or will drive your HRV up, which is a positive sign, positive or negative adaptation to the stress in which you're handling. Now down to actually what it is, is it's the measurement of time between the R waves. the R intervals in your heartbeats. So the peaks of your heartbeats. And typically when somebody says your heart beats at 60 beats per minute. If you do the math, you're like, oh, it's beating at one beat per second. But actually that's not true. It's beating at maybe 650 milliseconds and then 847 milliseconds and then 1.2 milliseconds. And so it, there's a lot of variation in there. The more stressed you are or the more sympathetic you are. So again, think fight or flight, Mm -hmm. be more regulated it's going to be. So the less variability. The more parasympathetic you are, the more rest and digest, relax, the higher the variability and thus higher the HRV. So
0: how should you work with so many different from athletes to entrepreneurs? How should people go by increasing their HRV and what are kind of like the first three things that that moves the
1: needle the most? So it's a it's a great question. And what we typically talk about is there's eight controllables that we really lean on that impact HRV at its highest point its sleep nutrition self care environment movement hydration immune function and mindset and so those eight components really come back to how do we how how are we truly impacting the way in which we're recovering how are we impacting the way in which our body can build capacity to handle stress Because that's the biggest thing that our goal is. It goes back to that 13 year old kid. How can we be more and more consistent? Well, the reason we want to be consistent is because we build capacity. If we build capacity, we become more resilient. If we can become more resilient, we can handle more. If we can handle more, we can do more. If we do more, we can realize the potential inside. Hmm. And it all comes back to the signs and language that our body's talking to us at. So think about this for a second. If your goal is to run a marathon and you run 2 miles every single day leading up to that marathon what's going to happen when all of a sudden you get to mile 6 7 and 8 in that marathon you're so overreached on your capacity that you've built you could probably run 2 to 4 miles no problem at a really great rate but the moment you start to get outside of that your body's like whoa I've never been here before and the and all of a sudden the toll increases So if you haven't exposed yourself to stressors that overreach you, you're not going to be able to grow your capacity. But if you also don't take the equal amount of time and intention to regenerate recovery, and you talk about what I just talked about in these eight controllables, sleep, nutrition, self-care, environment, mindset, immune function, hydration, all seven of those are really focused on that regeneration side. The only one that's really focused on the, um, on the overreaching side is exercise and movement. And so seven to one in terms of stressor to regeneration, that's what we need to do. Same thing here. If you want to build a business, we, we, we talk about this all the time. And if you haven't pushed, it's okay to work a 12 hour day, but it's not okay to work a 12 hour day for a month, two months straight. That's where burnout happens. But we need to overreach. We need to push ourselves beyond our comfort zone. We need to get outside of our limits. But then we need to regenerate. We need to give ourselves that self-care back. We need to put ourselves first. And how does our body tell us? How does our language speak to us as to whether we're doing that or not? It's HRV. And so it guides us. It guides us in being able to know how far we can push, how hard we can push, when we need to pull back a little bit, and then when we can push again. Because life is not a marathon. Life is not just this Drudgery of just slow and consistent. It's a series of sprints, baby. It's push, overreach hard, mm-hmm. then take a moment and recharge. Go and push and reach hard and then take back and recharge. Because as we get that rhythm and we start to do that in all aspects of our life, family, at home with ourselves, in our businesses, in our practices, whatever it is that we are doing, we're going to start to see growth. And we're going to start to see capacity build. And when we see capacity build, we build resiliency to those other forms of stressors that we have. And that's when it gets exciting. And that's the moment that we truly realize that potential that's inside and we don't leave anything to chance.
0: And for the average person, what is their kind of like the average HRV that people are are usually in and what is a good range of HRV for for a person like you or the clients that you work with? I'm sure it's very, very different to the average Joe.
1: It's a, I get this question all the time. It's like, what is a good HRV? What should it be at? And it's, it, I, everyone's going to hate me for this answer, but it's so individual. Okay. Um, and there, there's certain age bracket ranges that you can come into. So if you're like 20 to 35, somewhere in that 65 plus range, um, if you're uh, 45 to 65, anywhere between that um, and that's age uh, related and if yeah. you should be, you should have an HRV in the somewhere in the neighborhood of forty to sixty-five, and then uh, beyond the age of sixty-five plus, anything uh, between twenty to forty-five is is usually pretty good. Um, but again, I don't, lo- I hate putting ceilings on things because mm. what we see is people come in and a cl- a client that or, or or people as you educate them on this, when they start measuring HRV, they'll come to you and go, oh. I've got a 22, 22 is my average. Is that good? Cause they've got nothing to compare it to. Yeah. And it's like, well, it's not bad. Like here's the thing. No HRV is bad because all it is, is a metric. It's just your body's language. Like if somebody communicated to you and started talking to you and said, Hey Chris, how are you? Is that good? Or is that bad? Well, it's nothing. It's just a form of communication. And it's the same thing as our body 22. It's not good. It's not bad. It's just, it's, it's, way of communicating to you. So what it's saying is that, Hey, Chris, I'm stressed, man. I need a little bit of help here. Take a look at those eight controllables and start to take some better habits because I need some help. And so all of a sudden you start to take some action on these things. And that guy that has 22, when he first starts, starts applying these and a month, two months, three months down the road, he's regularly at 75 and 80. And I've seen that over and over and over again because they cut the alcohol out. They cut the late nights out. They cut the inconsistent sleep out. They added some more exercise to their routine. They started hydrating themselves uh, properly. They um, were surrounding themselves with positive people. They were giving themselves 30 minutes of self-care a day they started to see the sunrise and the sunset. They started to, to get into a little bit of grounding. They started to uh, focus more on self-development and mindset work. They were around positive people. They were conscious of who they were interacting with. They were conscious of their energy out per day versus their energy in per day. And so all of these conscious thought processes that became more intentional in how they lived now changes the way your body talks to you. Mm. And so they go back and they go, oh, JR, my, my HRV is at 75 it's neither good nor bad. Your body's just saying, hey, Chris, thank you, man. I feel much better than I did about a month and a half ago. Yeah. And then guess what? You're going to go. And now you decide I want to start a marathon tra- training. So you go and run 16 miles and the next day your HRV is back at 30. And it's not that's not good or bad. It's just saying, hey, man, I'm tired. Focus a little bit more on me today. Add in an extra 30 minutes of self-care. Add another 10 minutes of meditation. Add another 13 minutes of breath work or go into the sauna today or get a massage because I need that and be able to bounce back again. And so it gives you purpose and intentionality as to how you live so that you can ultimately, again, perform it where you're truly meant to.
0: I love how data driven and how methodical your process is, especially with the, with the eight principles. So I like to tie that in with, you know, what you do personally on a day-to-day basis. So what is kind of like your your morning routine and what is your night routine in order to make sure that you try to operate at your highest peak performance?
1: It's a great question and um, I, <laughs> I, people are going to hate this answer again and I don't have a routine. And the reason is this, is when I wake up in the morning, my, I guess what, what my routine would be is that I look at my data and I determine what it is that I'm doing. So. My schedule is set up appropriately because again, it all comes back to planning once you start to turn this into execution. So what I do in my daily schedule is I actually put forth um, a four 30 minute blocks throughout my day uh, that are just for me. And they can be whenever it could be, it could be two hours all in a row. It could be an hour. It could be four 30 minute blocks spaced Mm -hmm. out throughout the day. Based upon how I'm feeling, based upon what is required, I start to shift and adjust. Every single day, I will go in the cold tub. Every single day, I will go in the sauna. Every single day, I will go in the steam room. Uh, Twice a week, I will make sure that I get a um, massage. Um, I will make sure that I have at least two to three times a week a breathwork routine. Uh, I will work out every single day for at least an hour. Um, and that workout could be something as an intentional walk. It could be a run. It could be a weight training workout based upon my dad and what I see. Uh, it could be, um, my nutritional programming for myself is again, very simple. Uh, it's a three, two, one rule. Uh, there's nothing measured. There's nothing, uh, that's really looked at. Um, it's three meals a day two pieces of fruit a day and one big salad. That's something that I stick to, that I hold true to. And um, my first meal of the day, which is breakfast is always uh, an açaíbo, always full of high antioxidant uh, uh, fruits and vegetables, as well as uh, collagen and plant-based proteins. And then my supplementation routine is based upon my uh, micronutrient cellular testing. So I know that what my body is deficient in uh, cellularly, how my body is processing things, whether I'm methylating properly, whether I'm absolutely absor- actually absorbing the nutrients in which I'm taking in, or if I need to supplement them in some other shape or form. And mm. so that's really what drives my, um, my routines that are Shaped a little bit differently. I like to call them instincts um, because I don't think what happens is uh, a, a, a routine is hard. Routine is like tough to get into. But after you own something, you stick to it, it becomes a rhythm, and that rhythm then becomes instinctual. So for me, it's now instinctual to wake up, look at my data, say, hey, where are we at? Adjust my calendar appropriately, and then move into it. I know that I'm going to get my breath work in. I know I'm going to get my workout in. I know I'm going to get my steam and sauna in. I know I'm going to get uh, my massage in. Just depends on when, based on what I need, and that's the and, and that's the unique process to it. And then I retest my blood testing um, at that cellular level every uh, every three months, so that I know how to adjust um, the types of foods and uh, and supplements that I'm using. For the average person
0: or that the, the entrepreneur that's trying to take it up a level, I feel like, you know, there's a lot of people that are diving into their sleep metrics nowadays just because Aura is becoming more and more popular. People are using the Whoop band. Um, what are and it also almost becomes sort of a game every day you wake up, you, you see a number and like you're trying to beat that number and everyone's trying to get better and better. What are some of the common mistakes that uh people are you see people making that are detrimental to kind of their sleep and readiness score and how should people go by uh with, with a few habits to ensure that they get the highest
1: quality sleep it's a, it's a great question chris and the reason it's so awesome is we've become very bigger is better so why is my hrv score going down guess what you have to cycle. It goes back to what I talked about, where you have to overreach. You have to push yourself beyond boundaries in order to continue to grow. So that what a lot of people see is that they see, oh, my HRV is dropping. Well, yes, your HRV is dropping because you've added more miles to your workout routine. You've added uh, maybe another business to your repertoire. You're maybe in a scale mode in business. Maybe you bought a new house and you're closing on that. Maybe you're moving, maybe you're traveling, maybe you're setting up an event somewhere. Maybe your family's going through something that you've needed to step up and be a true leader in that's pushing you beyond your comfort zone. That is why your HRV is dropping. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It doesn't mean that there needs to be something changed. It just means you need to be aware of that. And how can you give yourself a little bit more rest and recovery right now so that you can optimize what you're doing next. And the biggest thing that we see is it's like, Oh, my HRV is going down. I need to stop everything. And no, that's not the case. Continue to push, continue to go, but add in an extra recovery session in one of these eight categories. How can you eat a little bit better? How can you hydrate a little bit better? How can you sleep a little bit better? How can you give yourself a little bit more self-care, improve your environment, your immune function, all of these things? It just, it's a simple question. And when you have this framework and this understanding, it's able to bring this all back together. And it's it, the, the auras, the whoops, the Fitbits, the um, the, the Apple watches, the garments, the Polars, whatever it is that you're using for your wearable devices, they're great, but it's just data. There's no coaching. There's no guidance. There's no, so what, and that's really where own it's come in and kind of been this platform that you can utilize your wearable technology implemented in and it all of a sudden give you your so what's every single morning when you wake up. So it's, Hey, good morning, Chris. I see based off yesterday, your HRV is a little bit down today. Make sure we add in an extra 15 minutes of meditation. Click here to get your meditation. Hey, I think today we should, because of uh, our increase in respiration rate, we should actually do an extra 30 minutes of cardiovascular activity that keeps us between this space. Great. So now you're just checking boxes. Hey, Chris, I see you've been struggling with your, Um, habit of one salad a day. Let's make sure we focus on that today at lunch. Oh, perfect. What should I have for lunch today? Salad's my choice because that's what I need to do. And so you're literally learning these things that are giving yourself and your body a better way to get into these spaces and get back to that homeostatic level so that you can, again, build resiliency, build capacity, and ultimately perform at that level.
0: Before I ask you my last question, I I'm going to take this and ask a question for myself and hopefully you can shed some light upon that. Um, I've been using, you know, the aura for, for almost two years now. And what I've been seeing is my deep sleep is always between 1.5 to three hours, but my REM is always in the red on, on like over all these years. Sometimes you get the occasional blip, which is, which is green. What is the reason why that that is happening? If, if if this is something that you can just diagnose from from very, very superficial data like that?
1: Yeah. So I'll give you a little background. So there's four sleep cycles that we go through on any given night. We're going to start in light sleep. We're going to go into slow wave sleep. We're then going to go into REM and we're going to come out of it in a subtle wake cycle. To go through that process takes usually about 90 minutes, give or take 15, depending on who you are. The only difference between a high quality sleeper and a low quality sleeper is the time spent in slow wave and REM sleep. Somebody who's not getting high quality sleep is going to toggle between that light and wake cycle. Now, in understanding that, what we're going to be able to do is we need to prepare for sleep. And so to answer your question, there's going to be two things that end up happening. One, there's something called the cortisol melatonin cycle. And this cycles throughout the entire day, cortisol and melatonin are like salt or like, um, oil and water. When melatonin is high, cortisol has to be low. When cortisol is high, melatonin has to be low. And so if we think about it at night, if we're not preparing ourselves for sleep well, or we're not creating a consistent sleep time, the hormone of melatonin can't become regulated. And what happens is if you say, you take a call at 9.30 PM, or you start sending emails at 9.30 PM, it starts to increase that cortisol level because it increases the cortisol level. It drives down the melatonin level because of that, you're going to have a harder time falling asleep. Your mind's going to start going. You're not going to get into as deep a sleep because in, in your mind, subconsciously, there's a release of cortisol, decrease in melatonin, your body's in a stress state. So a sympathetic state. Even though you're falling asleep and you're laying there, your body's like, oh, wait, Chris has given me sympathetic vibes here. Um, We need to keep him alive. So we're not going to throw him into deep stages of sleep. We're going to keep him toggling between wake and light sleep simply so that the bear that's after him right now, he can handle it when it comes to attack him. That's what our body starts to talk about and think to. Whereas that's option one is that we just haven't prepared our body well enough because our cortisol melatonin cycle is a little bit out of whack, or we don't have a consistent sleep time. And so our melatonin cycle has come up. We're not in bed. Alarms go off in our mind. We have to keep you up because you're not in bed. Something's going on. That's the way our bodies function. The second one is that we actually don't prepare to go to sleep. And in doing this, it's what a lot of people call like, what's their night routine. And again, I come up with a simple three to one rule that I typically formulate for people three hours before bed, no more food. Why? When we ingest food, it takes, it puts our body into a sympathetic state. So it has to digest it, break it down, start utilizing it for energy, but we want to shut that off. We don't want that working. So three hours before bed, we shut down all food. Two hours before bed, we shut off all work. So no more decision-making, no more emails, no more phone calls, no more um, uh, ideations, no more processing anything. I made a, um, uh, I made an exception for you tonight doing this podcast. <laughs> Broke my night routine. but um, And then one hour before bed, no more blue light. Eliminate the blue light. It's been scientifically shown that for every hour of blue light exposure after sunset, it delays melatonin release by 30 minutes. So, if we can just stick true to that three-two-one rule and have then a parasympathetic, what I call a parasympathetic buffet, where we have a slew of things that we're choosing from that relax us: hot baths, showers, stretching, uh, reading, yoga, meditation, sex, journaling, light conversation. Um, all of these things create. uh, parasympathetic toning within our body thus an increase in melatonin and thus greater deeper stages of sleep so those are all things that you can try Mm -hmm. and then the third thing which we can get into is there may be a micronutrient deficiency something like magnesium something like um uh, vitamin b or folate all precursors to the creation of tryptophan which ultimately create melatonin that help us get into deeper stages of sleep so those are all things Mm -hmm. what steps one two and three that you can kind of go through that can give us more insight as to what's going on with you individually so that we can produce that end result.
0: Beautiful. My last question is if you were to be stripped away of all of your money, resources, and network today, and you have to start all over again tomorrow, what are the first three things you would do and why?
1: It's a great question. You, you get to keep your knowledge and wisdom, obviously. So the first thing I would do is I would go and find the best baddest and brightest coach that was doing what i wanted to be doing and i would volunteer my time and i would say just let me learn under you and i would execute and perform and give him everything or her everything that they needed and wanted that they would have to hire me and at that point as I continue to go on, I would then um, uh, figure out uh, what business I wanted to go into and strategically create partnerships that would um, allow that business to be to be made. But the very first thing I would do is I would get in the aura and the atmosphere of those that had the fruit that I wanted to bear it one day.
0: Perfect. Justin, I appreciate being on the show. For the people that want to follow you, keep up with what you do, or even potentially work with you, what's kind of the um, offerings and where's the best place to find you?
1: Yeah, so we, uh, we service um, people uh, at the one-on-one individual level um, as well as uh, entire corporations and teams. Um, so uh, either one of those offerings, either one of those uh, services are available to you and you can find those at um, just, uh, sorry, uh, ownitcoaching.com. Uh, coaching.com is where you can find those and then uh, we've also uh, done the world's very first retreat that is built for you so uh, we do these retreats in uh, different places Costa Rica Bahamas um, Tulum and the every single aspect of the experience is literally built and designed for you as an individual based off your data your information um, and uh, very intimate uh, uh, experiences and that's at Uh, livebetterretreat.com. And then I'm extremely active through my social medias, uh, which is uh, on Instagram at uh, Justin Roth. Uh, That's at Justin Roth. And I'm sure you can tag all of those uh, that I just said in the show notes.
0: Perfect. Justin, I appreciate being on the show. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Thank you so much, Chris. I appreciate you.